episode number 45. Parents are using children to shoplift at Walmart. This is the Crime School Radio Show. Where industry experts discuss the business of fighting crime and prevention strategies for making places safe. Leading today's discussion is security expert Chris McGoey. Welcome to Crime School. Today we're going to talk about shoplifting and retail loss prevention and mainly involving big box stores and large department stores that have a professional loss prevention team. Now, I'm not going to talk about just ordinary shoplifters. We're going to focus on a despicable class of adult shoplifters that use children to help them commit their crimes. In my 45 years working with retail store chains, one activity that pushes me to the boundary of my professionalism is watching adults manipulate children into committing retail theft. The worst cases involve parents who teach their own teenage children how to work as a team to commit organized retail shoplifting on a large scale. There needs to be a special place in hell for those parents who destroy the lives of their children by teaching them a criminal lifestyle, how to be thieves, and then how to beat the justice system when caught just because they're juveniles. The nature of these contemptible shoplifters is only half the story. The other half of the story involves a dilemma facing these large retail stores. How do they go about setting policy? How to detain or prosecute a family? Retail loss prevention agents have a duty to protect the store and prevent theft when they can. But how should they handle the complex aftermath of detaining a family of thieves? that's in the best interest of the retail store and protects them from liability. What started me on this topic today is an investigative reporter named Jim Ross called me. He works for Ocala State Banner newspaper in Florida. He's doing a story about adult parents who were caught using teenage children to commit shoplifting at Walmart. So I'm gonna do something a little different with this episode. I want to play the clip from my interview with Jim Ross to lay the foundation of the underlying story. And then I'll come back and discuss my thoughts about the issues facing big box retailers when they make policy about detaining or prosecuting a family suspected of shoplifting. As always, you could read the show notes from this podcast episode at crimeschool.com slash 45 and find links to other shows and valuable resources. So stay with me for a moment while I get investigative reporter Jim Ross on the line. And we're going to talk about this family of thieves at Walmart in Acala, Florida. Don't forget that after this interview, I'll come back and discuss my thoughts about what these big box retailers should do. Jim Ross, and you're with yeah. the uh, Ocala Star Banner in Florida? Ocala, Florida, that's right. So tell me the story you started telling me about this situation. Right. Just the other day, police at a Walmart arrested a woman, the woman's boyfriend, uh, both adults, 
and the woman's 12-year-old daughter. All three were arrested because they were involved in shoplifting at Walmart. And kind of interesting, the the child had the distinction of being both the defendant and the victim of a crime. She was charged with theft as a juvie, but then the mom was also charged in addition to theft uh, with contributing to the delinquency of a minor. So the child was both uh, accused and a, and a victim in, in the same criminal episode. And the story that I'm doing is, I mean, I know that with infants or toddlers, you know, uh, sometimes shoplifters will put stolen stuff in the stroller or the diaper bag or hide it, you know, under the blanket, you know, for a, a child who, who doesn't know any better. But I'm doing the story about kids who are older and who, in theory, although certainly not, you know, they're not adults, of course, by definition, but that they're able to participate in the enterprise in a more active way. And kind of at what point does do they become somebody to be arrested uh, as opposed to being a victim? Or in the, the case here at Ocala, they technically were both. The girl was both a victim and she was arrested. And I know every case is different in circumstances and all, but I, I was reaching out to you because I'm just wondering, with, with your experience and more of a global view, what you've seen along those kind of narrow lines. Well, I'm here to tell you it's been probably happening since the beginning of time. So certainly uh, my 40, I don't know, 40 plus, 45 years in the retail business, uh, I've seen it from, from day one. It's uh, kind of heart-wrenching when you see a child being manipulated by their parents to participate in shoplifting. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there's a famous writer who wrote a very popular story called Oliver uh, many years ago. Yes, where, indeed. Uh, they had a whole crew of children uh, who would go out in the streets and, and steal from people. That's not fiction, by the way. Uh, that oh, happens, really? and it happens all over the world. But hmm. if we're just talking about the United States, there are cases where that's what children are taught. And they learn what they live, unfortunately, and they learn what their parents are telling them or directing them to do. Some don't know any different. Uh, there is a time when they age where they'll start to know the difference between right and wrong. I mean, obviously, they go to school, they talk to friends, they know it's wrong, but mm -hmm. they're led to believe that it's necessary. It's what I'm required to do to get approval from my parents. Now, I'm not going to, I don't want to walk down this, this psychology road here about what motivates right. people to do different things, but it is a business reality that people will use children. And the primary reason why they use children, whether it's their own or borrowed children, they believe it makes them look less suspicious. Mm -hmm. um, in the big box retail world like this Walmart, mm -hmm. um, it's not a popular thing to say or admit these days, but there is profiling going on. It's not illegal profiling like racial profiling or anything, but shoplifters act in a certain way, many of them, and many stand out like a sore thumb. The opposite of that is is that shoppers act in a normal way. They come in and shop, and they're looking for goods, and, and they're selecting items, and they're focused on what they're uh, looking at and evaluating, and they put it in the basket or whatever, and they go to the cashier. Happens mm -hmm. thousands of times a day. Shoplifters, mm -hmm. conversely, often come in 
start looking around to see who's watching them or looking for surveillance cameras. They, I, they looked differently and they act differently. And they, for many of them, they stand out. And store mm -hmm. loss prevention people are trained to identify those behaviors as potential shoplift suspects. Mm -hmm. Now, what's not typical for most people, the vast majority of people, I'm talking about parents, don't shoplift in front of their kids. Mm -hmm. Most adults don't shoplift in front of their significant others. Mm -hmm. Now, some do, a certain percentage do, and most don't. It's mostly a solo thing, or if you're going to shoplift with someone else, it's going to be a friend or co-criminal, but usually not in front of a significant other. It's not a badge of honor to be a thief. Hmm, interesting. And it's certainly you would never, most people know better to do it in front of your children because you are training and teaching your children, you know, how to be a criminal, essentially. And mm -hmm. uh, So it usually doesn't happen. So those people that Use a child as a prop, and that's a lot of times what it is, a prop, to make legitimize them, to make them look or their profile to be different than a shoplifter. Mm -hmm. Man, it just makes my blood boil. I've seen it so many times. Mm -hmm. And I've seen them stuff stolen items underneath their clothing, take them in the fitting rooms and, and have the child put on three or four layers of clothes mm -hmm. under a coat. I mean, every mm -hmm. manner of way of, of shoplifting use that child uh, as a cover or as a pretext uh, to commit the crime. Now, it sounds like yeah. you're describing maybe this 12-year-old was actively engaged in shoplifting too, but I guarantee you, growing up, children don't automatically learn that behavior other than, you know, picking up the odd item without knowing any better. But uh, right. to be actively involved with the intent of stealing Man, they, they, they just contaminated the, the heart and soul and mind of that child, and it's going to take some time to get that reversed. It's interesting what you said, though. Just You said most, most adults don't shoplift in front of their significant other. They don't shoplift in front of their kids either. Um, and I'm talking about a, a ratio, a rate of uh, somewhere in the upwards of like 97 to 98%, it's that high, of parents will not shoplift openly in front of their children that are of age. If they're infants, then of course they will. But 12-year-olds, absolutely Kids of age, yeah. yeah. Of Teenagers. 12 or older, yeah. Yes, absolutely mm -hmm. not. Okay. So even though they themselves are thieves and they they recognize that at some level, they, they acknowledge what they themselves are doing, they know enough not to do it in front of their kids. You know, robbers, rapists, murderers at some level have some morality uh, <laughs> Uh, for certain things. Most of it has to do with children. Uh, there's cases where people will uh, commit carjacking on a vehicle and they'll find a child in the car and they'll go way out of their way to make sure that child gets returned safely mm -hmm. or placed somewhere safely. There's just something about that morality. Everybody knows that's the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. And to intentionally uh, involve a child into some criminal act like that is, is uh, just despicable conduct. So the big box people, when they train their loss prevention staff, when it comes to kids, is, is it are they much more looking for the the infant who doesn't know any better, who's they're going to hide stuff under under the car seat, as opposed to the twelve year old? I mean, using the twelve year old would be pretty rare, um, or at least more more unusual than than using the infant. 
Well, the, using the infant is the obvious thing. Anytime it could be a man, usually a woman, comes in with one of those gigantic uh, baby carriages, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's almost automatic that that's a, that's a profile. You're watching for that, and you're going to watch that, uh, that mother or that woman until she could show evidence that she's not in there to steal from you. And you do that by just watching them select items and, and don't take advantage of, you know, half a dozen opportunities or so, then it's likely they're not going to do that. Like, like most women will not do that. But some mm -hmm. will come in with that baby carriage for the whole purpose of loading it up or the diaper bag or whatever container they bring in that's not part of the store they could use to fill up with, with merchandise. Mm -hmm. so, so, so that's a flag. That's something you're going to look at. Okay. Anyone coming in with a super large purse, with a very big jacket on, you know, a big baggy, baggy clothing, really old clothes that they might substitute for something new. There's a whole lineup of, or a whole checkbox, really, of, of things that loss prevention people will look at. Now, those that have been doing it for years and years, after a while, you think you've seen it all, and many have mm -hmm. seen most, and you'll know every trick in the book. Uh, but mm -hmm. these tactics w with children will throw off the, the newer or less experienced loss prevention agent just because they wouldn't think of it, especially if you have children of your own. You wouldn't, right. you wouldn't think for a second that uh, someone's going to come in with their child and steal in front of that child. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Well, Chris, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk. Good luck with the story. Welcome back to Crime School. After doing the interview with Ocala Star Banner reporter Jim Ross, I attempted to do some research into his underlying facts that we discussed. I was surprised to find, well, strike that, I'm, I'm way past being surprised about the outrageous conduct of thieves and the total disregard they seem to have and damaging impact they cause to people and property especially in retail stores. However, I digress. Uh, the Google search brought up a whole bunch of stories going back a few years, talking about parents in Florida who brought their children to Walmart while they shoplift. Several stories went on to report how these same thieves abandoned their young children while riding in shopping carts. They simply took off on foot when being chased by loss prevention agents and left their children behind, which seems instinctively to be anti-parent. But again, I digress. Uh, getting back to the theme of the story at hand, there are multiple policy issues facing big box retail stores that must be addressed. When talking about shoplifting where families and juvenile children are involved, it, it's really quite complicated and, and really a mess for the retailer to have to go through all of these steps just merely to stay in business and not have their store inventory walk out of the store without being paid for. Over the years, I worked with many national retail chains about the legal and practical implications when trying to design a national corporate policy re regarding shoplifter detentions and, and the thousands of variables. Just to give you some examples, I mean, the criminal statutes for retail store theft vary widely from state to state. 
what constitutes a misdemeanor or felony theft could be completely different depending on the dollar amount that's required by statute. It could vary from $200 to $500 or more. And that might make a difference in your approach and your policy statement. Local definitions about what constitute intent to commit shoplifting or burglary or robbery, for that matter, in the retail setting. It varies widely and is subject to interpretation. Interpretation by the police, interpretation by the prosecuting attorney or district attorney, and interpretation by judges and even juries. So it's not like it's set in stone, as they say, that a retail store can rely on with a high degree of certainty when formulating policy. Another important factor is probable cause. When you're talking about groups of people like families, in most states, you need probable cause to detain as a private person, loss prevention agent, working for a retail store. You need probable cause or reasonable cause to detain that person based on some statutory requirement or at least some case law that might set forth some criteria. Usually it runs along a five-step type protocol that you must see the person, maybe approach your merchandise, see the person select the merchandise, see the person conceal the merchandise, watch the person walk past the last point of purchase or leave the store, and then detain them outside the store. Some jurisdictions actually require all those steps. Others don't require it, but still hold stores accountable for meeting most of that criteria. Now, if we're talking about a group of people, is that criteria necessary for all three in a group of three? Or if you simply see one person meet all of those theft steps, and as they all exit together, do you, ret- do you retain or detain all three? Or are you merely allowed to detain just one? What if the one that needs to be detained is the juvenile and the parents are standing by? Do you detain all three? What if the person who shoplifted is one of the adults, but they exit as a family? Do you de- detain the whole family? It, it gets quite, uh, quite messy. So those are things that have to sort of be decided and talked about. There has to be training for it and, and some procedures for it that could offer backup and support. And it also must be held up and tested against what are the local regulations and what do the local court system support. It also gets complicated involving juvenile children. If you detain parents, do you also bring the children back into a room while you go through the investigation or interrogation process? Do you hold them for an extended period of time, or do you have other duties to turn them over to another responsible adult? Do you have a duty to isolate those children from that process? Do you simply detain everyone and let the police sort it out? That's the approach that most retailers take. They believe that if a theft occurred and they could prove it, they just stop everyone, they call the police, and they let the police sort it out. Well, sometimes that's a good tactic, but many times or sometimes it's not. Police officers have little or no liability for making a citizen's arrest based on a complaint by a retail store. 
There's no liability for them in the decisions that they make and what charges they impose on the alleged shoplifters. And again, in the criminal justice system, it's important to note that it is still an alleged crime, right? Until they have their day in court and have the right to to make a defense against uh, the charges. So a question and a, a sound corporate policy needs to have given some forethought to the detention policy for families, for adults with juvenile shoplifters at the same time? And do you require provable damages or provable charges against each family member? Something that will come as no surprise is that if juvenile children are detained for holding stolen merchandise, even in the presence of their parents, it's not surprising that the parents will say, gee, I didn't know that they had stolen something. I didn't see them do it. I had no idea. So you have to sort of tread lightly on what accusations you make towards those parents or your attempts to to file charges against those parents. If it wasn't complicated enough, there's often a discrepancy between a, what a police officer who responds to the scene is willing to charge a shoplifter offender while in the store and what a prosecuting attorney or district attorney is willing to support later on. I oftentimes see local police officers charging uh, shoplifting, uh, possibly grand theft, sometimes even burglary, or some sort of conspiracy uh, to commit uh, certain crimes. And the persons are either jailed or cited and released, only to find out later that the district attorney or prosecuting attorney dismissed some or all of those charges, leaving the retail store fully exposed to false arrest claim or false imprisonment claim or infliction of emotional distress claim. It's also not surprising that even if charges are filed initially by the police officer and the district attorney, to have the court dismiss it later in the interest of justice. If it's merely a petty theft charge and a crowded court calendar, sometimes they will simply dismiss cases out of hand because they're clogging up the court system again, leaving the store exposed for causing those charges to be filed and for those suspects to be forced to either spend time in jail, to pay money for bail, to retain legal counsel, and so on, just to have the charges dismissed. So it's important that corporate policy uh, consider all those things and weigh them carefully when they make a decision to detain shoplifters or not. I'm here to say it's complicated. I know some of the big box stores and Walmart in particular have flip-flopped on detention policies many times over several decades, whether they're going to go hands-on detention or hands-off no detention policy. They go back and forth. Every time they have a a multi-million dollar inventory loss, it sort of drives them towards the decision, well, we got to do something about shoplifters. we got to detain these people, especially the serial ones or the retail uh, organized thieves that are out there that are coming back over and over and over and hitting us really hard. We have to do something to stop them. And the only way that gets the message across is to try to take them off the street versus the liability and the risk and the cost of hiring and training and supervising loss prevention staff is just too prohibitive for the few stops that are actually made 
and the few successful prosecutions that are actually made. And based on the fact that we're getting little or no restitution for those that we do arrest. So to say it's frustrating is a gross understatement. It often comes down to, well, whose rights are more important in this setting? Do the rights of retail thieves to be arrested and booked according to the strict rules of the statutes more important? Do the rights of the criminals to their day in court surpass any rights of the retail store to protect themselves against thieves and shoplifting losses? Do the rights of children need to be protected by the retailer even when their parents do not? Do the retailers have to protect them and isolate them and treat them in a manner to not traumatize them even though the store had little or no opportunity to do so before before their offending parents came in and committed a crime. Retail big box stores lose billions of dollars in inventory loss every year. Inventory shrinkage is one of the largest annual expense items. Stores and even small store chains have gone out of business due to failure to control expenses and inventory loss. So the rights of the retail store seem to be equally of important, certainly as a society and and to the economy. There seems, like many things, there seems to be a double standard operating here. Retailers must hire, train, and supervise loss prevention agents at a very high standard. So during this very complicated process, not violate a single right of a shoplifter. On the other hand, shoplifters are free to attempt theft every day, every time they come in the store with no investment and relatively little risk of being caught because of the, the staggering cost of, of placing people in stores to catch them. And if that's not bad enough, the rights of shoplifters to file lawsuits against the retailer whenever a criminal case is dismissed. And then plaintiffs get on the platform. They want to send a message to the big box corporate America not to violate personal freedom and civil rights of its customers. Of course, there are a few cases of excess and excessive force and false arrest that are legitimate, but there seems to be an even larger percentage of claims filed by guilty shoplifters who simply took take advantage of loopholes in the system and now charge back with a vengeance at retail stores. One thing for sure that retailers are going to have to continue to take steps to prevent shoplifting losses and find some reasonable way to navigate the legal and practical hurdles while doing so. Retailers have little ability to control dishonest parents and their troubled offspring before they enter their store and commit shoplifting. All of us who work in the field of crime prevention know the frustration of working within an imperfect system. I certainly do after four and a half decades. We also know that we have to keep trying to stop crime and loss because making places safe for people and property really matters in our free society. As always, you can read the show notes from this podcast episode at crimeschool.com slash 45 and find links to other shows, related stories, and resources. 
There are millions of stories about crime and how it's impacting the lives of people, families, and companies. Some of the outcomes turn out positive, but many are very tragic. Discussing them here at Crime School helps us learn, helps us grow, and solve some of these problems and social issues plaguing our country today. I try to provide a variety of educational topics, but I want to keep with the theme of making places safe for people and property. I really appreciate those of you that have been sharing this content on social media or those who have given five-star positive reviews on iTunes to help the Crime School podcast get discovered. Thank you so much for listening and for doing your part in making places safe. This is the Crime School Radio Show with your host, Chris McGoey. We invite you to comment on today's topic and join the Crime School community. For more information and show notes from this episode, please visit crimeschool.com.